Man, come on, somebody. Is it good to be together today? Um, in case you didn't know, we, we turned a corner last week as a church. You will know, I promise you, in the days and weeks, years ahead. There was something God deposited in our hearts as a people last week, and we're not going to look back. We're going to go forward. All, everyone with me, say amen. amen. We are in a, a, a wonderful harvest season. We're in a wonderful season where we're going to see people who are bound and broken be set free. Amen. We are in a season when we're going to see those who we would never expect Never expect to pan out or to make something of themselves, to become the next generation of preachers, evangelists, apostles, shepherds, and teachers. And if you don't believe me, just flip over to 1 Corinthians 1 and you can see for yourself. God never calls the qualified. He calls those who need a savior. He calls those who are far from him. He calls those who've made a mess of their life through their sinful, selfish choices. And he does the work of transformation, adopting, cleansing, filling, training, and then releasing to new identity and destiny. And uh, I'm just telling you, I've been here now 16 months. There is a shift that has happened last week in our church. And it gets, it's, today it was very, it's just here. God is moving. He's, he's manifesting in a unique and powerful way. And my encouragement to you is, even if you don't understand it all or get it, just jump on in with us as we seek to be a people who just want to be like Jesus in every way. I don't want, like, just the Jesus that teaches. I don't just want the Jesus that has 12 friends he runs around and tells jokes with and hangs out with. I want to be just like Jesus in every way. And if it's helpful, some two in front, you know, some uh, pure and powerful. Amen. People who walk in holiness and who also believe that God in Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still wants to heal. So holiness and healing. Amen. People who are people of the word. How many are thankful for the scriptures in your life? I mean, I, when I was 16 years old, I started reading the scriptures an hour a day because I knew I knew that if I was really good at being a sinner, I wanted to be really good at pursuing the one who pursued me all the way from heaven to a sinner's cross so that I could have a relationship with him. So we're people of the scripture, but we're also people of the Holy Spirit, amen? Amen. That apart from him, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is just an idea and the scripture is just a book, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, God transforms us by the truths of Scripture and empowers us to participate fully in his kingdom. The spirits in the Scriptures. And I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you, we turned a corner last week. God is putting his heart in us for this city. He's putting his heart in us for people who don't know him. He's putting his heart in us where no longer are we going to be okay with the choice to be indifferent. Come on, how many know it's way safer to be indifferent, it's just not the kingdom. It is way safer to be apathetic than to step into empathy where you begin to share the burdens of those that you see around you. But I want you to know that is no choice at all because that's boring. 
to stay indifferent. Come on, somebody testify with me when you've lived indifferent. When you lived like that great theological movie called The Matrix, when you had the pill to choose, swallow the red one and you can forget you saw how the world really is, or the blue one and you'll never be able to go back to lethargy, to sleepiness, and to being aloof to my purposes. I want us to whatever pill it is, I may have missed it, I haven't seen it in about 15 years, but I wanna be a church that says, you know what, we don't wanna live with our eyes closed and our hearts cold. We wanna be a people who are aflame with passion and zeal for Jesus, not because we're trying to work something up, but because he's the one who has fire in his eyes and the eyes are the lamp of the body. And so if Jesus has fire in his eyes, it means he has fire in his heart. And I want you to know today that Jesus is not indifferent to the state of his world that he redeemed. Jesus is not indifferent, he's not callous, he's not distant, he's not sitting at the right hand of the Father saying, man, hurry up, Father, and send me. He's praying next to the Father. I'm praying for you. I'm praying, I'm interceding. I'm literally interceding. I'm standing with the Father and with you, and I'm saying, church, this has the potential to be your finest hour in history. Jesus is standing, he's there at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding passionately, fervently. Passionately, fervently. Contending for you and I to wake up. Contending for you and I to to have our eyes awakened to see life as it really is. He's contending right now at the right hand of the Father, contending for us to come out of our duplicity, out of our idolatry, and into the place of purity so that when he comes, there's a bride who's ready to embrace her bridegroom and not shame and hide because of her sin. He's standing right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father saying, I've already provided all that you need. I can make you holy with one word of declaration. Your whole compromised past can be put under my blood in a second. Come on, that's a good preaching right now. So Jesus is not indifferent. And no, he's not loud like I am. Probably sometimes he is. I just can't help it. My heart is so... It's so ravished. How many know that those things you pray for and break through, God actually wants to answer them? And I told you last week, we don't, I don't even know what, we don't even have time to preach, but I'm not gonna preach long. It's 12.30. Last week I told us that sometimes as a preacher you preach sermons that we're born out of a time with Jesus in the secret place. And I love those sermons. I love the, I trust me, I've preached many of them over, this, over my life, but over this tenure as your, your pastor, your fellow servant for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes you preach because you told your church you were gonna do a sermon series, so you say, you know what, I can't go back on my words, so we got a series to preach through. Come on, you preachers out there, you know what I'm talking about, I'll move on. But sometimes you preach sermons that are almost like you're on the balls of your feet, knowing you want to preach something that you yourself want breakthrough to walk in. Many sermons can be that way, but this series, this little three-week deposit, very specifically and unapologetically is aimed at all of us. Even though I have a stage, it's aimed at all of us. 
And for three weeks, we are asking for God's heart for the ripe harvest. For three weeks. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 8. We looked at this amazing story of Philip, the evangelist. And we looked at 10 or 12 points of how to walk with greater effectiveness and anticipating that God is moving in people all around us. That there are many, many people that we pass by every day who are asking spiritual questions, who are stirred and longing, will anyone come and explain to me and to be able to speak truth to that which is restlessly churning and burning in my heart? We looked at last week that there's many of those in our lives that we already have done the hard work of relationship and they've already given us an open door to sit with them in their chariot. You can go listen to the message, you'll understand what I'm say, saying. So last week, man, I, man Pete, the altar's filled. There, there were probably 60 or 70 people who said, I, have a, I want a pioneering spirit. I want God to give me so much courage and boldness to go where no man has yet gone before for the sake of the gospel. This week, briefly, I want to continue that thought. I am convinced, beloved, that the way, and the Moravians are famous of saying this, the way to grow in a passion and desire for what we've been, what's been called evangelism or sharing our faith or seeing those far from God brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ. That I'm still arguing that the greatest way to grow in a hunger and a desire for that is to just grow in a hunger and desire for Jesus. If you are pursuing the one who himself came to seek and save the lost, it's pretty hard if you hang out with him long enough to not develop by the Spirit with the discipline of community, being a person of the scriptures to read very long that from the very beginning in the garden when they sinned and he said, where are you? That God has been pursuing lost humanity from the beginning and he will pursue her until the very, very end. You hang out with Jesus long enough, his heart will rub off on your heart. And so for three weeks, we're looking at a very specific dynamic of his heart, and it is this. I want my house full. I, not this place, it'd be cool if this place was full. We're getting there, praise God. But that his house, the one that Jesus is building and preparing for us in John 14, that the Father's house would be I just pray he has to keep breaking down walls because of the thousands upon thousands. No, 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 the millions that are coming to Christ globally right now. And I believe that there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in Santa Maria, California, who will come to faith in the days, week, months, and years ahead. But I'm gonna tell you something, the problem isn't out there. Jesus said, they're already ready and the harvest is ripe. The problem, or the, I, I might not say problem because you might get grumpy. The opportunity is, I don't have a lot of workers, but who's willing to become a worker that I can send out? Because he said, he didn't even say pray for the harvest. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into his harvest field. So for three weeks, we are very specifically and unapologetically saying, God, we want to become those workers who are thrust out into a field that you have already prepared, Lord, by your spirit. How many know that the, the, the theologian, I think it's Pascal, you can go Google it or right now and tell me in five seconds when you find the answer. The famous theologian, there's a God-shaped hole in everyone. How many know that it's just a matter of what you're trying to fill it with, but there is a shape that Jesus alone can fill, a place 
And he wants us as a church to be attuned to that reality, equipped and empowered to go and to show and share Jesus with those around us. Amen. 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 That was a long intro. Golly. Yesterday, I have to give a huge shout out. Let me see if they're here. Yeah, they, they, uh, they're leading our kids' ministry. I want to give an enormous shout out to, to Haley Edick. She's not in here. She's serving. But let's just give a big shout to Haley. You know what? Forget that because I'm going to leave out names. If you were on the inner circle of the leadership team to do our community outreach barbecue, I want you to stand. We want to give you a shout. Come on. I know I can see you. Lori, stand up. Nora, I can see you. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. You in the back. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Megan, come on. It was the cool, one of the coolest things I've seen us participate in. Several of us went over to the Jones Street Apartments that God had put on our hearts. We wanted to start a Jones for Jesus. Uh, cheesy, sorry. But our church, I tell you what, there was people of different, we were speaking all different languages. It was the most beautiful first step into seeing us become a multi-ethnic, multi-generational people who know that the gospel is fully sufficient for every age and race, people, tribe, and tongue. And so... Yesterday, I was just on cloud nine, and many, many people really worked hard, but we had a lot of visitors and guests come, and we just loved on them, and Nora was our unbelievable translator, so you get a huge gold star in heaven. All right, let's dive in. My goodness. So, all things, all people, going all out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, there's a passage that I was in Pasadena, which P.S., if you can afford it, never share one room with three of your little kids in a hotel room. I don't know why you're laughing. It's not funny. Thank you, Sven. It is not funny. So stop laughing. My wife and I had the privilege of going down to our um, district meetings as we're a part of the Church of the Nazarene. And so uh, 70, 80, I don't know the exact number, I'm sorry I didn't count while well, he listed them all, of the different churches all around the LA area. We're one of the furthest north churches in the LA, Los Angeles district. But to just see God moving in the different races and nationalities and the gospel going forth. And how many know that it's way easier to criticize the church for her shortcomings than to come and humbly say, you know what, I'm signing up to be a part of the solution. It's way easier to be critical. It's way easier to say, well, they, they sing too long, or that preacher's too loud. Wait, that's another church. Um, <laughs> it's way easier to be critical than to dive in to say, you know what, I'm gonna be a part of this family and be a part of seeing God break out in the city. It's way easier to sit on the seat of a mocker than to humbly get into the mess of the life. How many know it ain't easy to love each other, but Jesus just happened to say that if we can figure out loving each other, they'll know we're his disciples. No, hold on, hold on. Not if you raise up a bunch of geniuses or you raise a bunch of money. No, 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 no. Or you figure out all the answers to all of the cultural relevant issues and questions of your time. No, no, no. If my church would give themselves to loving each other as I have modeled love, the world will know and they will be the ones to validate the credibility of our message, the message. And so as I was in Pasadena not sleeping, 
um, the Lord put this scripture on my heart. It's a very, very famous scripture in 1 Corinthians 9. So open your Bibles very quickly to 1 Corinthians 9. Um, if you need a, an app, version, you can get it right now from whatever app platform you use. Um, version's a great free Bible. Um, I use a Bible app called Takarta. I've been using it for seven years. It's, it costs money, but it's just something that I've found incredibly useful in my personal devotions. Takarta Bible app. I know many people like Bible Gateway. It's a free Safari or whatever your internet browser. I'm just trying to help you that there's many, many resources Many, many resources literally at your fingertips. Or if you're one of those dinosaurs that still has a physical Bible. No, I'm just kidding. I love it. I got a physical Bible. I got a physical Bible. I got a physical Bible. Come on. I was, we could have fun in church. Come on, somebody. That was a joke. Okay. Just put your weapons down. Chill out. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, verse Verse 19, and so for, for a little bit of context, I just want to say this, that many in the church at Corinth, Corinth was this incredibly important town in and following the, the years right after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and there was a guy by the name of Paul who had an encounter with Jesus after he was one who was murderously breathing out threats against the church of Jesus. Jesus showed up, and it was game over. He was, on his whole, he was on his donkey or whatever he was riding. And the light of Jesus blinded him and he gave him a calling. He said, I'm gonna use you now with the same zeal you had to snuff out my name and my church. I'm gonna put that same zeal that you wanna see my church explode on the earth. How many know God has a way of doing that? And so this guy helped plant the church in Corinth, this very important city in the Roman world. And what's happening is this, and it's, it's no different today. Many people were coming behind and before and after the Apostle Paul's ministry, his missionary ministry to plant churches all over the world, and they were, they were, they were trying to dilute his message, someone say dilute, and they were trying to pollute his credibility. So they were saying his message is not sufficient. It's no different than today, preachers fighting each other and teachers and blah, 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 blah. Now we just have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And so the Apostle Paul, in almost all of his letters, you'll see him write very specifically, referring to people who are trying to discredit or disqualify or dilute his ministry. And it's no different here in 1 Corinthians 9. Many people are going around saying, I am also an apostle, a missionary like Paul. You can give me money. And Paul is saying, you guys are crazy. Don't listen to those guys. The Apostle Paul is rebuking them in this section of Scripture, saying, no, 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 no. If anyone comes to you and their first thing out of their mouth is the rights that they deserve because of some title or position, he's saying, resist them. It's not true. Right. It's not true. We are set free from sin and set free for service, period. If we have titles and positions in the kingdom, which we do, Different titles, different roles, different offices. All of us have a gift and a unique calling and a mantle and a destiny to fulfill a book that has already been written about us. But our titles are not a means to manipulate or coerce. They're just titles that show us the nuance with which we're to serve God's people and God's world. That's important. Okay, I, that was a really good point, but maybe you'll think about it later. 
So Paul is saying, there's people coming behind me trying to use a title to coerce and get something from you. He's saying, that's not the way the kingdom works. The king who was the king of the universe, in light of his title, disrobed and washed the stinky feet of his disciples. So if we have titles and positions, they are only to declare and to give us the nuance of how we're meant to humbly serve and see others connect to their God-given potential and destiny and identity. Enough, that's enough. Okay, hurry up. Let me skip all of that. I love this. So the Apostle Paul, read this with me. One, two, three, go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So the Apostle Paul, for, for the Apostle Paul, all he wanted to do was talk about and preach the gospel. Someone help me out. What is the gospel? Go. Good news of what? Jesus. Come on, somebody else. You get a Snickers bar from somebody else. I don't have one. The Apostle Paul, summer, it was shorthand, this announcement of good news gospel is to say that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of the promises of two-thirds or three-quarters of your Bible are fulfilled, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. All of the promises of God coming and reigning and dwelling in a land are fulfilled. All of God's promises of being rescued from your greatest enemy, which is not the one on the throne down the street, but it's the havoc and the harm that we cause ourselves by being selfish. Come on, somebody. The good news of the gospel is that you don't, it doesn't matter any longer what side of the street you were raised on, but that through Christ, whether you are close, Jew, Gentile, far, never heard of God, law, no law, that through the gospel, every single human on earth has an opportunity to be put back right together in relationship with God through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. So the apostle Paul's whole life and aim, in fact, in Acts 20, 24, he says, I only have one aim in my life, and that's to finish the race marked out for me. And that race is to testify of the good news of God's grace everywhere I go. Even if they kill me, I have to tell the world the gospel of Jesus. The good news, beloved. It's good news. So if you think gospel, and the first thing you think is bad, it's probably not the good news. The good news is this, that he didn't count our sins against us. Jesus became sin for us so that now through Jesus, we could be fully forgiven, fully restored. He doesn't ignore our sin. He's just overcome our sin already. But, you know, John 1, 29, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, the Lamb of God's taken away the sins of the world. And I want you to know that Jesus has removed every barrier and obstacle. Any barrier or obstacle that there is, it's because we have set them up because of our sin. From his perspective, he's bulldozed through every one of them. That's why our message is just repent. Receive the provision of God and Christ for your salvation. That was a huge, wait, I'm sorry. Let's go. So let's read this passage. Unbelievable passage. When we believe that truth of the gospel, some things happen. We're set free. Someone say set free. We're set free from sin, its power, its manipulation, its destructive nature. How many know sin is not just a symptom, it is a nature thing, but even 
the nature of our sinful self, God in his grace and by his spirit, he crucifies that thing so we're free to walk in the power of a new spirit, a new name, a new nature, his nature. He sets us free from sin, from shame. Oh my goodness, how many know that we have been reaching for fig leaves from the very beginning, now they're just a little bit more sophisticated but there's still fig leaves from heaven's perspective. But the gospel sets us free from shame, that desire to hide ourselves. And it also sets us free from the tyranny of self, a self bent on me, my, and no. And by his grace, he sets us free. He makes us fully grown heirs. What is an heir? It's someone who's gonna inherit something that his papa has. And in the kingdom perspective, and when you are brought into relationship with God through Christ, you have access to all that the Father has. That's just really good news. So, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Very weird language. We're going to unpack it to win as many as possible. Five times he's gonna use the word win. What does it mean? Think about it. Think about it. Look for it. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. He gives this commentary of his own thinking. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. Hold on. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To why? To win the weak. Here it is. Read this last sentence with me. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this for what? For the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. And before you freak out, you're like, that I might save some. No, 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 no. The apostle Paul, it's not by Paul or Apollos. It is through Jesus Christ we are saved. But how many know he wants to use us to that endeavor and for that mission? To see the saving power of God in Christ break out in those around us. A couple of thoughts is this. I love it. The word when. How many notice the word when? I told you to notice it. It was five times. What it means is this, it's not so much winning a prize, but it's of making a significant profit of an investment. I love this. God has invested everything in the gospel for his world, including his very own self and the person of Jesus, his son. Now he wants to gain something back from it, namely people of every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. So the word win has this wonderful connotation that God, when he sent his son, he was fully invested to remake the whole world. He was fully, he put all of, man, it's like, I don't know, finances, I'm not that guy, so someone else help me maybe after the service, but it was as God put all of his chips into the middle of the cosmic table and the mess of sin and tyranny and, and prejudice and racism and, and injustice and, and trafficking and, and, uh, and abuse and, and uh, uh, famine and every other thing that you see on the news every day, all the time. That God in Christ, he pushed everything, all of his resources 
that flowed from his very nature, from his very son, and he put it there in the middle of the table, and he's saying, I'm investing everything in this one plan that through the one I'm sending, I'm going to save and remake everything. I am going to save those who through him put their faith in his sufficiency and in his supremacy. And so when Paul's saying when, what he's saying is, man, I want to be someone who helps declare that God's investment is sufficient through Jesus. And I want to see Jesus, I want to see God have a huge ROI, return on investment. I want to see God the Father receive an enormous return on the investment that he sent and gave through his son Jesus. Are you tracking with me? And so just very, very quickly, um, what's all this to the Jews that became a Jew, to the non-Jews, to the, all this stuff, there's three categories of people here. There's the Jewish people. Now here, it's, it's both those who are ethnically Jewish, and many were proselytized, and they, maybe they weren't born Jewish, but that they adhered to the Jewish faith. And so Paul is saying to those who, that either you were born ethnically Jewish in line with Abraham and through the rest, that unless you were born there or you're adhering to their customs, I don't really care to you I am never changing my message, but I will gladly change my method because the gospel has no barriers or boxes in which it has to fit in regards to it getting out in a people group or a language or a generation. We don't change the message, but the method is fluid because he's fluid. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Man, I, I don't care. I, I'll eat kosher. Paul already said, man, I don't want to adhere to I don't have to anymore. I'm in the gospel. I'm in the kingdom. But he's saying, I'm so, I'm so devoted to seeing God receive a return on his investment that if I'm ministering in circles and they care about, sorry, I'm sorry, they care about certain customs or they care about like um, certain rules and it doesn't dilute the gospel, I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that the gospel can go forth in that people group. Now somebody translate that for me. What else? Traditions, gospel. How many know that there are many, many people who love God, but they, like some Jewish people um, in, in Paul's day, they picked up a bunch of extracurricular stuff thinking that that and the gospel made them stand right before God. And how many know that they're not bad people, but that there are people that God wants to save? Are you tracking with me? So instead of, oh, they're religious, or they still, how about you just do whatever it takes, follow the Holy Spirit. Man, if you don't have an end into, via relationship and a humble posture like the Apostle Paul, man, no one's going to listen to your message of freedom and the gospel. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew. I'll pick up my kosher ways again. Anything for the sake of the gospel. Now, if they try to add to the message, no way. Just read Galatians 1. Let them be under a curse. If you add one sentence to the reality of the gospel, you actually subtract from it. We already did a sermon series on that. So, so Paul's saying, I don't belong to anyone. I've been set free. But the way the kingdom works is when he sets us free from sin, self, and shame, he invites us into a new kind of slavery, and that is this, that we now perpetually and forever receive our identity from 
Christ, that no matter what situation he may send us into, we're free to be like a chameleon, not to dilute the message, but to allow the gospel to take root and to be, again, made flesh through our lives. I'm free from everyone, but I'm using that freedom not to stay away, but that it would send me into no matter what circle I find myself in so that the gospel can go forth in power. So I became like him. I wasn't a poser. I'm not some fake, wishy-washy guy. I just want to win as many as I can. I want the father to have a huge return on the investment of his son. So I became like one of them. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. To those not having the law, by that he means the Gentiles or the world, those who didn't grow up with a rich salvation history. Read Romans chapter two for some context. Man, I lived as if I didn't have a bunch of kosher rules and religions, although I am under Christ's law, which is to love. So that I could win them. Paul is writing, guys, you have people coming to you saying, I have rights and I'm this religious, whatever. He's saying, no, 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 no. The only rights we have is that we can go in any circle, any people group, and through the gospel, we can be freed to be fluid and flexible so that the gospel can go forth again in power. I mean, hello, how many know you talk to a teenager different than you talk to an old person? Or you talk to a mature, seasoned person? But if I'm trying to talk an old person's language, trying to reach kids in the name of doctrinal whatever or tradition, how many know it's not obedient to this scripture? And I want to see us as a church grow in such confidence and courage that we would never risk the message, but we're sure really willing to risk whatever method it takes for the gospel to go forth in this city. We're willing to take risk to be creative, to try and even possibly fail in our attempt to preserve the purity and power of the gospel that they would find new legs, new avenues, new opportunities for it to go forth and to save those who would believe in Jesus. To those who are weak, man, he's already talked a lot in the letter about those who are weak, their conscience. Many of us struggle with that. I have a weak conscience, and I don't mean I'm compromised. I mean, I really want to walk and please the Lord. It's something he's still trying to help me with. He's saying to those who are weak in their conscience, and they're always checking their pulse about, are they good with God, or did I do something wrong, or am I? He's saying to them, I became like one of them. I don't care what category you're in. I want the Father to have a return on the investment that he's given in his son. And I want, I want, I want many to be saved. And that doesn't just mean saved someday for heaven, but I love what Hal Perkins said. I wanna save them every day, every moment of every day. I wanna save them from a lifestyle of themselves and a lifestyle that revolves around me because I've come, John 10, 10, to give them life. Life to the full. Life in its fullness. All things, all people, so that they might be saved. Now, I know in a culture that the only cultural sin is restraint. That was supposed to be sort of a joke. Maybe you didn't get it. The only sin in our culture is the sin of restraint. That when we read things that the Apostle Paul is willing to constrain himself to for the sake of the gospel, our culture may say, 
dude, you're not being free. You're not being lit. You, man, just be you. Be, I'm telling you that the gospel even frees us not just from the idols we create, but from the prevailing spirit of our culture that says, restrain? Why would you restrain? And Paul is saying he's modeling something so dynamic. Beloved, do you know that Jesus in John 18 and 19, when he's being arrested, and they say, if you really are him, why are you letting us arrest us? And he says this, he says, if I wanted to, I could call thousands of angels and wipe Jerusalem off. Jesus was showing some restraint, is what I'm saying. I'm not gonna give them what they deserve because I'm here to do his will, not mine. And the Apostle Paul is not being some superhero. He's just being like Jesus. I will make myself a slave in a culture that says, man, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. But the gospel says, I want to free you from any and everything so that you, like me in Christ, are willing to go in any capacity to see the reality of the gospel manifest, break in, and break through. But you got to... I'm telling you, you're going to have to show some restraint. This is where it gets offensive. How many know we will not accidentally walk into this kind of lifestyle where no matter what group or people or situation that we're present to the reality of what God's doing in us and what he's doing in those around us and seeing how the gospel, there's little cracks for it to break in and where God's already prepared the harvest. But the reality is this. He sets us free so that no matter what he calls us to, there's not 25 hurdles he has to jump over on the inside because he sees a big old yes. Yes to whatever you want, Father. To whatever you want. And he ends with this, and I'll end with this as well. The motivation. Don't you realize, and he uses two metaphors so powerful, that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. Someone say, only one. Only one. So what does it say, those next four words? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. Yep, Chad, that's you, your Salvation Army fourth grade trophy where you average 30 points a game. It's rusty somewhere in my mom's basement. Sorry, I just had a glory moment right there. That was, that was so, <laughs> I used to be so good at basketball when I was little. Anyway, then everyone else got big too. But um, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. Oh my goodness, wow. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. Here's what it means, that this lifestyle that God wants us to walk in, this lifestyle of being freed from ourselves, sin and shame, so that we can be messengers of this good news, it's gonna take work. Come on, somebody. It's gonna take work, because everyone in the race runs, but only one gets the prize. And the Apostle Paul's not doing jockeying for position. He's not doing be competitive with each other. He's giving us these two metaphors to say you've got to be very focused. You've got to be clear on what your aim or end is and realize that in and through it all, I'm your prize. So run after me with the same fervor that I ran after you with to save you and to rescue you. I'm not shadow boxing, I'm focused. 
I want you to know that God wants to call Cornerstone Church, those in attendance here or listening online, into a season of incredible focus for the sake of the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got a few amens, but I'm telling you, he, Jesus really, really does care that his house would be full. He wants his house to be full. And the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful, simple passage to say, here's one of the ways to participate in that gospel going forth. Believe it first for yourself. Allow the message of my love to transform you from the inside out. Allow the reality of wherever you're planted, in your workplace or at home or on the job, allow your methodology to be fluid and flexible. Are you tracking with me? How many know the spirit can get anywhere? We're not messing with the message, but how many know we can lay a lot of our rules or baggage down in the name of God? I'm not compromising the message, but no matter what it takes, we wanna see this message get forth, go forth. That we can be fluid and flexible with our method. But I want you to know that your motivation and mine will always and only be Jesus. Always and only be Jesus. If your only aim and ambition is to see many, many saved, you may see many, many saved, but at the end of the day, there's more who are gonna need saving. If your only aim or ambition is to see many, many healed, and many, many are healed, there's always gonna be someone else that's sick. But if your aim and ambition is the one who came to seek and save the lost, the one who gladly and willingly for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, who didn't allow the opposition from sinners to derail him from obeying his father perfectly. If your aim and ambition is his, it doesn't matter if millions are one or only one in your lifetime. He is the only one who can sustain the life of Christ in you as the person and work of Christ. And so, yes, he wanted to win a prize. Listen, it's okay to have dreams and want to go after it. And I want to see thousands saved in our city. But my prize perpetually and will always be the person of Jesus Christ because it's not my idea to go win the loss. It was his first. It's not my idea to go out and to announce to the lonely that there's a family. It's his idea. The father sending the son. They're really good at doing family, by the way. It's never my idea to go out and to work for the cause of justice, to see wrong things made right, because he alone is the righteous judge. It was his idea first. It is never about me getting fired up about a certain thing. It's about being obsessed with the person of Jesus and allowing the different nuances of his heart to begin to break into our life with increasing fruitfulness and faith. And like we said, as we close, that for three weeks, and we're on work two, week two, so don't take next week off. It's gonna be so good. Matthew 10, we're gonna look at the person of peace, how to begin to see those that God's already working on and how to partner with his heart. It's gonna be really good, I think, hopefully. But the message is the gospel. The method is fluid. The motivation is Christ. Are you tracking with me? Someone say it with me. The message is the gospel. The method is fluid, but the motivation is Jesus. Come on, the message is the gospel, or Jesus, yeah, same thing, you got it. The method is fluid, but the motivation always will be Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but in and through me, you can do all things.
So here's what I wanna do as Emily just plays a little bit. I just wanna end like this. Okay, 11.30, I told you 12.40, so I'm doing way better than you thought I was. I love this, I'm gonna end with this scripture. If I can fast forward, there it is. Read this with me. Stand on your feet and let's read it together, come on. I love that it's in the plural, by the way. (sighs) One, two, three, go. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal. Hold on, I gotta read that again. I don't think I believe it. God is making his appeal. Come on, look to that person next to you. Just look at him, don't talk to him. Do you think he means them? Does the us mean them? That God's making his appeal? What appeal? You remember that big investment that God made in his son? That was that the world might be saved and remade, transformed. All right, let's read it from the top again. You don't, you'll get, we're all gonna get it right here. One, two, three, go. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see that? The war has been won between sinful rebel hearts and the holiness, righteousness, and love of God. And it's been won in and through only one. His name is Jesus. So as we go, I just want, if you want a fresh anointing and fervor, I want to call you out again. Could you come? And we just want to pray. And if you need to leave as people are coming, you can totally leave. We love you. Just don't forget the nursery meeting after the service. If you want a fresh anointing for what we preached about today, the message, the method, and the motivation, will you come? I just want to pray with those who'd willingly step out today to say, I want to grow in this today. I want to grow in a passion to see the gospel go forth. Come on. It's okay. I'm not going to bite, and God won't bite. He'll just transform your life, give you a fresh fire and zeal and passion. If you want a fresh touch this morning, praise the Lord. You can just stay standing. I'm standing with you because this is my prayer this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Anybody else, you just say, man, I want a fresh fervor, fresh fire. To win as many as possible, all things to all people, so that by all possible means, God might save some through my simple obedience. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just stand right now, and you can just pray where you're at. Lord, we, we all stand as a family. Come on, just begin to ask him to pour out just a fresh baptism, a hunger and a passion, to see the lost, to see those far from him with his eyes, his perspective, his heart. Thank you, Lord. We're standing here because we desire for you to transform us, to, to reinvigorate our hearts with a fresh passion for the gospel. begin to ask the Holy Spirit, show me those all around me who have an open heart but are just waiting for someone to bring the message. Just begin to ask the Lord to show you, to reveal his heart to them. Thank you, Lord. Can we just ask him right now, ask for boldness and courage to share the message with so much compassion, 
so much humility and love and with clarity, conviction, and power. Ask him to anoint your heart, anoint your words, anoint his word in you, the power of the gospel. And I want you to ask, he will answer this. I I know he will. Ask him to show you creative ways, the method, creative ways to those who may be closed down one door, but that there are many other doors that the gospel can get through. Begin to ask the Lord for creative and tangible ways to see the gospel, the reality of Jesus, work his way in people's hearts and lives. Ask for that creativity right now creative ways, a phone call, a letter, an Instagram post, bribing with a meal. I mean, come on, somebody. How many know the way to the heart is through the stomach? I'm serious. This is not facetious. Lord, I ask that you would release creativity over our church. In Jesus' name, creativity over our church, that by all possible means, many, many will be saved, will be won through the gospel. Thank you, Lord. And then come on, if you can with me, just raise your hands with me. And let's just all cry out, say, Lord Jesus, be our motivation. Come on, Jesus, be our motivation. Be the center of our hearts. May our zeal for you compel us and propel us into a lifestyle of evangelism, into a lifestyle of showing and sharing Jesus, of being a person moved by the gospel. Lord, the message burn on our hearts transforming our minds, the method being fluent, but Lord, our motivation being you. Jesus, right now our hands are raised saying you be our motivation. You be our motivation. You, Jesus, you're the vine. We're just branches, but you want our branches to bear a whole lot of fruit. Come on, somebody. He wants us to bear a whole lot of fruit because it brings glory to his papa. Say, say, Lord, I want you to bear fruit in me. Bear fruit through me. I love you. I trust you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, hey, I love you. You're dismissed. If you need prayer, we have a whole team of prayer warriors that would love to pray and speak into your life. If not, we love you so much. God bless you. But come on up. If you have questions, if you want to open your heart to the gospel, man, come and talk to us. We'd love to walk with you through that.